So Genesis uh, chapter 26, verse 34, through Genesis 27, verse 4. Just a small section, but we're going to cover a long section. Uh, Father, we do thank you uh, for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you um, for the book of Genesis, this book of beginnings, this, this book of history that um, shares with us the foundation of, of your, your plan of humanity, its fall, the redemption of, uh, of your people through Christ. Uh, are found in these pages, and today we we cover a kind of a difficult section in that this is this is really a, a family that's a disaster, and it seems to culminate in today's chapter. Uh, we see um, th- this family that's totally divided. Everybody's looking out for their own. It doesn't seem that anybody is looking to you for guidance or trusting you for the plan that you've put together. And so, Father, I pray that as we uh, navigate this story, that you would help us to see principles that we can draw from uh, from these individuals' lives. We pray that you would help us to see uh, the overarching plan of um, just how you have worked through redemptive history, uh, through fallen humanity, and in our failing Lord, you are still faithful, and that you are able to do great things in spite of our weaknesses. And so, Lord, we pray that as we go through the story, uh, you would help us to learn from their poor example, that we would fall down before you, that we would trust you with our lives, that we would lean upon you, and that you would help us to honor you by doing things according to your plan, not according to our own strength and our own might. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 26, verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Bere, the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son. And he said to him, Here I am. Isaac said, Behold, behold now, I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver, your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare a savory dish for me such as I love. And bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. And Father, we do thank you again for the story. We ask that you would lead us now, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, this this story sort of unfolds over the next chapter. We could probably go even further than I opted to go today. Uh, It's a super dysfunctional family, to, to put it mildly. Um. These sorts of families are fun to watch on TV, but they're no fun to live in. Like, and, and, and this whole thing is a disaster. Um, our family's been kind of laughing about this story of the tricking because my dad, as he's getting older, his eyes are now a little bit dimmer. He can still see. He can't necessarily read. Um, and his ears are getting harder of hearing. 
And probably like about a month ago, I normally go down there with Grace on a regular basis, but then I, I mixed it up and Ellie went, but my kids are like growing faster than my dad's brain can kind of track. And Ellie's down there with Anna and my dad looks at Ellie and he's like, oh, hey, Ellie. Uh, or no, he didn't say Ellie. He said Grace. Hey, uh, are you getting ready for me to buy you a car? And Ellie looks at Anna Like, what do I do? And Anna's like, just rule with it, honey. <laughs> yeah, Grandpa, I'm ready for that car, you know, <laughs> kind of like. And so it's been this big sort of joke in our family, like, oh, we're having a little, the little uh, switcheroo, but, you know, it's not actually happening. It's just, um, and so it's, it's fun to watch. But, but in this story, this is like a, like, there's, there is nobody does the right thing in today's story. Like there's not anything, like we can only look at their bad examples. And it's, it seems like in their dysfunction, we can sort of draw some principles about how we should not be like them. But it seems like the main storyline is really God behind the scenes that he's using dysfunctional people to sort of work out his plan. Um, I, I heard one guy say, or re- read one guy say, that uh, God uses dis- dysfunctional people in his redemptive plan for what other option does he have, sort of insinuating that all people are dysfunctional, which is kind of true. And so we have a lot of ground to cover today. So I'm going to hopefully just read through the story, let us get, hopefully we get lost in the story uh, to fill the emotions, and then we'll take communion at the end. Hopefully we can tie it all together. Um, Okay, verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, and he married Judith, the daughter of Bere, the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, uh, they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Literally, they brought bitterness of spirit. And so what we see here right away, which sort of bookends the, the story, of what, where I'm choosing to kind of cut it off is we, we have Esau, the older brother. He's 40 years old. He marries two Canaanite women, these Hittites, uh, not just one, but two. And it, it's not a good situation. It brings grief upon his parents. Um, Isaac in today's story seems to be very, very uh, passive uh, with his sons. Uh, he doesn't seem to help them in the way that his father helped him and in the language, it's, it, they point out the ages. Remember when Isaac was, um, when he was 40 years old, what did his dad do? When he was 40 years old, his dad was like to his helper, like, hey, you need to go back to my people. You need to find a wife for him. They go back. They find a wife for him. They deliver the wife. They're very involved. I'm not saying that that's how we were supposed to do it today, but there was some sort of parental involvement. Now, Isaac seems to be like kind of asleep at the wheel and not really involved in his son's lives and helping them spiritually grow. And all of a sudden, his older son Esau has these two wives um, that are of the people that God very specifically told them not to to intermarry with. And as a result, there's grief uh, between Isaac and Rebekah and what their son has done. In verse 1, we read, Now it came about when Isaac was old. And his eyes were too dim to see. Now I'm picturing my dad and Ellie and Grace and the car situation here. Uh, And he called his older son Esau and said to him, my son, this is another thing that we'll see throughout this passage. Uh, Isaac refers to Esau as his son. 
Rebecca refers um, to Jacob as her son, my son, my son. Throughout the story of these, this family, um, there was favoritism with the parents that I think creates this whole mess of dysfunction amongst the family. So he calls his son Esau the one who hunted and was an outdoorsman and brought him barbecue, and he loved his son for these reasons. And he said to him, here I am, this is Esau. And Isaac said, behold, now I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. He would actually have 43 more years to go, um, but he's fearing that his end is near. If you trace the story, I believe that he had a brother who died at the same age. So he's starting to feel like his life is coming to the end. And he says, now that I'm getting old and I'm about to die, please take your gear, your quiver, your bow, go to the field and hunt game for me and prepare a savory dish for me, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat so that my soul may bless you uh, before I die. And so in this first scene, the story sort of painted, we see that he's, he's blind, not just physically, but it's been pointed out that he's also spiritually blind. He can't see God's plan. Uh, God has already revealed to him that Jacob is the one who's to receive the blessing. Uh, in the midst, this son Esau doesn't seem to care about honoring or living for God. He's married these two women outside of the plan. But Esau is going to come up with his own plan to sort of circumvent what God has already decreed about the younger son, Jacob. And so he says, go get this food, go do these things, give me a great barbecue, and then I'll bless you uh, before I die. And then the discussion about birthright, uh, which Jacob already acquired from his brother, and now we have blessing. If you want to, uh, you know help falling asleep at night. You can go read all the commentators and they're kind of argue over the distinctions between blessing and birthright. Some, it's the same thing. Some say it's different. In the story, it seems to be the same thing because when Jacob acquires the blessing from his father, uh, Esau is furious because he's like, he's took my, he took my birthright and now he took my blessing and he's, he ends up furious with this whole thing. And so this seems to be sort of like the last will and testament of somebody before they were to die. They would sort of uh, grant various things um, to the individual that seem to be distinct from the birthright. I don't want to get wrapped around the axle on this, but it seems to me in this story, by the blessing that's given to Jacob, it seems that Isaac is trying to circumvent what God has decreed would go to Jacob. And he seems like he's giving him the Abrahamic covenant. He's giving him the blessing of all the resources. It seems like he's giving him everything that would be included in the birthright. Uh, and so he comes up with this plan. But Rebecca was eavesdropping in verse 5. Rebecca was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau went to the field to hunt for the game to bring home, Rebecca said to note her son, Jacob, behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a, store, a savory dish for me, that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there, that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father 
that he may eat, so that he may bless you before his death. And so she is coming up with this kind of a sleazy plan. I mean, this is like, this is horrible. She's taking her, her, the baby kid who's her favorite, and she said, I overheard dad talking to your brother. He's out hunting. He's going to do this. Go out to the flocks. Get me, you know, two animals. I'll prepare up the tasty dish. You run in there first. You can get this. Uh, you, can, you can cheat your brother out of this blessing. This is horrible. And I believe that Jacob has, initially he has a little bit of a conscience in this because he answered his mother, Rebecca and said, behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man. And I am a smooth man. Remember, he's redhead. He, like, it, like in his birth story, it was kind of like Esau means hairy. He's the first hairy to be born. Like he's got hair all over him. They're going to put something over the back of his neck uh, so that when his dad touches him, it feels like an animal or something. And he's like, I'm a smooth man. He's a hairy man. Perhaps my father will fill me, and then I will be as a deceiver in his sight. And I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. I, I think we could probably cross out that word as. Uh, perhaps my father will fill me, then I will be a deceiver. Like he's actually a deceiver. He won't be as a deceiver. He's trying to deceive his father. Right now he's concerned not about sort of it being actually wrong what he's doing. He's concerned about getting caught by the father. And he said, if I do this, it's going to bring about a curse on me, not a blessing. But his mother said to him, your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice and go get them for me. So he went and he got them all the supplies that she asked for and brought them to his mother. And the mother made a savory food as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in her house, in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the younger goats on his hands on the smooth part of his neck, on his neck, and she gave gave the savory food and the bread which he had made for her son Jacob. Okay, so the whole scheme is like put together. She made up the food. I like just. I mean, are you guys trying to imagine the story? Could you come up with something this good, like a a coat on the? Like I'm trying to like how how bad are this guy's eyes? Um, like, did they just get some, like, stuff and, like, tied on with string or glue or whatever? But so she's got her, like, her smooth boy all taped up with hairy stuff. Um, for those of you that go back to the Beavis and Butthead days when he tries to glue on a beard, you know, like, that's, like, I'm just trying to, sorry, there's one, at least one that knows what I'm talking about. That's like, but it's like, what, what did she do to this kid uh, to try to make him hairy? She gets everything, and so now this this kid has the hair stuck on him. He's got the barbecue. I'm just imagining his heart like racing where he can hear his own heartbeat, and he's asked to go into his dad to deceive his dad. Verse 18, then he came to his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am. Who are you? Who are you, my son? And Jacob said, and, and Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please. Sit and eat of my game that you bless me. Isaac said to his son, 
How is it that you have, excuse me, Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son, Esau or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So he said, bring it to me and I will eat of my son's game that I may bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate and he also brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and he kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, and he's about to give him this blessing. But so this whole scene, like, so here the son goes in with the food. Hey, dad, it's me. Wait, who is this? And you can just hear the father over and over. Are you sure you're my son? You sound like my other son. But you feel like that. Like, are you sure you're my son? So Isaac is having all of these doubts and concerns that something is like the, the wool is being pulled over his eyes, no pun intended. Um, but he's, he's really concerned. And, I, and, and Jacob lies multiple times to his father. He even goes so far as to blaspheme God when he asks like, hey, how did you get this so fast? And he says, oh, your God created, provided the animals so quickly for me that I could get it. So he's all the way in lying. Isaac is not sure. He touches him. He feels like him. He's like, well, come give me a kiss. And he comes and he hugs him and he, it's like, well, you smell like the sun. So they even smell different, you know, like one's more of the homebody and the other is the outdoors man. And so he goes through all of his tests in his mind. He doesn't think it's right, but he's going to progress with the blessing. And so in verse 27, at the second part, he said, where he says, he blessed him and he said, See the smell of my son. It is like the smell of the field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you, give you of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and abundance of grain and new wine. May peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your, of your brothers. And may your, father, may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you. And blessed be those who bless you. And so if you look at this and you're trying to figure out, like, what's the distinction between the birthright and the blessing, it gets really confusing. Because as you look at what Isaac says to what he thinks is Esau, his preferred son in this, this is like almost identical to Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, kind of like when God says... um, when God says to Rebecca, like, hey, you have two nations within you. The older one's going to serve the younger, and they go through all of the things that happen. He says, you're going to have financial blessing and this blessing to what he thinks is Esau. You're going to have political power. You're going to have military power. And ultimately, the Abrahamic covenant will rest upon you. Um, your mother's sons, the favorite other boy, who is Jacob, who they don't like, um, he what God said, the older one is going to serve the younger one. And this one, he says, no, the older one is actually going to be the one 
over the younger one. And so this blessing that he gives, it seems to be in stark contrast to what God has already revealed. Uh, Isaac seems to think that he knows better. Um, this whole story is like fascinating to me because it's such a disaster. I've been like searching all these people, like does the New Testament have anything to offer does the, about these people and what is happening? And when you go to, we're not going to go there, but when you go to Hebrews chapter 11, this great like uh, the heroes of the faith that we refer to, and they list all of these people and the things that they go. When you read about Isaac, it says that by faith, when he blessed his sons, he did these things, and it's like, man, the Bible is sure gracious with them because it doesn't seem like this is uh, by faith. This seems like he's trying to, to move ahead of God and to sort of put his own plan together. And I find it like oddly reassuring um, in our imperfections that God is merciful to us. And in our failings and in our going about things the wrong way, God somehow has mercy on us. His grace flows. And then it's like when he looks at us through his eyes, he sees the blood of Christ. He sees uh, holiness, righteousness, none of this stuff that we deserve. Um, but it's just, a cra- it's just a wild story. And it's about to get more heated. Verse 30. When it came about, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob... And Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. Then he also made savory food, and he brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. Isaac, his father, said to him, who are you? And he said, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. And I see at this point, like Esau, like the light bulbs are starting to go on, like what is happening here? Verse 33, and as we sort of like see the agony and the pain that are caused to these two individuals, verse 33, then Isaac trembled violently. Verse 34, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. Verse 38, so Esau lifted his voice and wept. Like this is, this is like agony at the, like the deepest level this betrayal that has happened. Verse 33, then Isaac trembled violently. I just see this like old man, just like heartbroken. Like what has just happened? Then Isaac trembled violently and said, who, who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me? So that I ate all of it before you came and blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. This He acknowledges that he was deceived and that the blessing that he gave was irrevocable. Uh, When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. Please, dad, is there any way? Don't you, like, you got another one in your back pocket? Is there anything that you can do to bless me also? I'm the one who you wanted to bless And he said, <clears throat> your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Then he said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has su- supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. Not really accurate in my opinion. Like the first time, 
he just had an opportunity. He's like, well, I'm going to die anyhow. My birthright's no good to me, so just take it. Just give me that red stuff. But in his memory, it was that his brother deceived him. Um, he took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac replied to Esau, behold, I have made him your master, and all his relatives I have given to him as servants. And with grain and new wine I have sustained him. Now as as for you then, what can I do, my son? Esau said to his father, do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. So Esau lifted his voice and wept. So he's distraught, he's angry, he's frustrated that the blessing uh, came over him. Over in Hebrews chapter 12, you can go there or you cannot go there, whatever you want to do. When Hebrews comments on this, we read in Hebrews chapter 12, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many defiled that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought, sought for it with tears. Which is kind of a, an interesting passage. And I think to make sense of this, if we go over to Second Corinthians uh, chapter 7, <clears throat> over in Second Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verse 8, we read, For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though not only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you are made sorrowful, but that you are made sorrowful to the point of repentance, for you are made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And so when I put these two together and we go back to the story of Genesis, The sorrow of Esau seems to be that he's sorrowful that he's missed out on the blessing. He's not sorrowful that he's like outside of the covenant of God, outside of the relationship of God. He wants all of the blessings that come with the relationship, but he doesn't actually want the relationship. And so he's sad that he's missed out on the money, the power, the prestige, all of these things that were promised uh, to this family line that came through this relationship that God had established with Abraham. But he's not sorry about the lack of a relationship. He's married these Canaanite women. He's going to continue to pursue women outside of of the covenant line. But he's sorrowful that the blessing, that the inheritance, that these things that he thought were going to come to him from his father were now taken away. And so he's there. He's weeping. The Bible shows no sort of like sympathy towards Esau. It's like this is a guy who didn't care about getting right with God. This isn't a guy 
who cared about his own sin. He just cared, cared that he missed out on the, the actual blessing uh, that comes as a byproduct from the relationship. And so then Isaac, in verse 39, then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, I only have this one blessing. We would probably call it a curse. Uh, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of of the heaven above, by your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. A bit of prophecy dealing with Second uh, Kings chapter 8, if you're so inclined to study the future of that one. So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. So he's so angry. He said, my dad's alive right now. I'm not going to harm my dad by killing my brother because the grief of of that happening would be too great for my dad. So I'm just going to wait for my dad to die. And as soon as my dad dies, then I'm going to kill him. And that was enough to sort of sustain him uh, emotionally to give him hope for enduring this wrong that he'd endured. But Rebecca is going to get involved again. Um, now, when the words of her older son Esau were reported to Rebecca, she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. She said this before, and it didn't go okay. Like, but now, So she's continuing to lord over her son, like, listen to me, do what I say. It's like, but mom, last time you told me to deceive dad, and it got me into this pickle. So now this is your answer? Like, obey my voice, arise, flee to Haran, my brother Laban. Uh, remember, Laban was the one who was her brother. Uh, Laban will continue to be in the story to deceive him. Uh, this family seems to be a family that's okay with deception, uh, but we'll get there in a couple weeks. Uh, stay with him for a few days until your brother's fury subsides, until your brother's anger against you subsides and he forgets what you did to him. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, <clears throat> then I will send and get you from there. Why should I be bereaved of you both in one day? Uh, the irony is she's going to lose both sons. And in this story, is the last time that she's going to see her beloved son, Jacob. Like, he's going to go away, and, and she's going to die uh, and never see him again. Uh, Rebecca then goes to Isaac. Rebecca said to Isaac, I am tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. Those are the, the two daughter-in-laws that she has uh, through Esau. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth, like these from the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? So Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padam Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and from there take yourself a wife from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. 
May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, and may you become a company of peoples. May he give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may possess the land of your sojournings, which God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padam Aram to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. And so this whole story sort of unfolds like as God predicted um, or foretold. Like if you go to Romans, God, made, God chose for this to happen this way. If you go back in Genesis, God seems to foretell that this would happen. Um, this, this whole week kind of grappling with the story, like this, this whole thing's a disaster. And I don't know that I, I have more questions than I do answers. Um, God said this would happen. If the people all lived and walked with God, how would the story have unfolded in, like, if it was going to go according to God's plan, sort of uh, imagining that the people were, like, sinless and they were honoring God with their walk? Um, the answer to that question is we'll just never know because they didn't allow that to happen. And I think a lot of times uh, we try to accomplish something in the wrong way and we rob like God of the opportunity to work and to move in our midst. Um, but through this, the plan is now unfolding as God said it would. Um, verse 6, we see that Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and he sent him away to Padamaram uh, to take himself a wife from there. And when he blessed him and charged him saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padam Aram. Uh, so Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan displeased his father Isaac, and Esau went to Ishmael, who, remember, is Isaac's brother from Abraham of the different woman, uh, an individual who's outside of the covenant of God, and he married, beside the wives that he had, uh, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, and the sister of Naboth. Okay, it's a long story. So what do we do with this passage? What do I do? Okay. Um, everybody's a disaster in this story. Like, um, this week was like a super rough week in my house. Like, um, it was our anniversary, which wasn't rough. We ended the anniversary with, like, uh, Anna and Grace. The stomach flu hit them. I'm like, I'm a total dead man. Like, this is Thursday. This is too late in the week for the stomach flu to come around. I text John Friday morning. I'm like, hey, man, I'm a dead man walking. I don't know if I'm going to make it to Sunday morning. Like, I'm just looking at the scorecard here. I think he's prayed my way to health because, like, this is a terrible story. Like, I don't, like, I don't. And I'm like, it's, there's, like, no heroes in the story. Like, everyone is a total disaster. And it, and, like, the first lesson that sort of, if, like, that stands out to me is if we sow in the flesh, we're going to reap in the flesh. Um, nowhere in this story is this family, like, unified. Nowhere in this story is there, like, harmony. Nowhere in this story are these people who are saying, God has been so good and gracious to us. How can we honor him with our lives? Like, how can we honor him through this? When I look at Isaac, it seems that he's, like, super passive in his home. He seems to be sort of spiritually blind to the things that are happening. Uh, 
God worked in Isaac's in, in Abraham's life in a super like powerful way, bringing him to faith, and then Isaac seems to kind of lose steam, and, and he there's really not a whole lot that's said about him positively in the story. Uh, maybe by the end, when he's giving this second blessing to his son, maybe he's so humbled by God th- that he's just surrendered. He's come to his wit's end. When I look at Rebecca. It's like she's just scheming, like every which way she's just conniving, trying to force, um, to force an end. Like it's it's not about uh, you know the ends don't justify the means. Like she sees the end, she sees what God has promised and delivered, and she thinks that she has to sort of force it to come about. Like I, I don't know, she, there's just nothing I can see about this that's good. Esau. Maybe you can make it like you can almost make a case for him up into the point to where he actually goes and deceives his dad and lies to his dad and does all this stuff and carries out this this plan of deception. So remember what he did to his dad that in like two weeks when we come to him getting uh, deceived by his uncle over the girl that he's in love with. So don't feel too bad for him when that story comes because it's like justice has come around. Um, then we have Jacob, who's this like impulsive guy that doesn't seem to think, doesn't seem to care about what God um, cares about in his life, doesn't seem to like, he wants the blessing, but he doesn't want the relationship. And I think that's super, super common. Um, we see this in our world all the time. Uh, people want nothing to do with God. Then stuff goes wrong, and then God gets all the blame, and they start getting all mad at God. It's like, well, what, like, why is it that God's now responsible for your poor decisions? But this happens all the time. Like, I hear laughter out there, so I think that that's an agreement. Like, I've seen it in my own life, like, where I'm doing all of this stupid stuff. It's like, God, don't you even care about me? He's like, yeah, I care for you, but you're working really hard against me. Like, I, and this whole story of this family is just painfully sad. Like, they're so flawed. They're living in the flesh, and they're not, they just don't seem to care about God and doing things his way. But then in the overarching theme of the Bible, we always hear about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So these are like three pillars of the Bible. Like, So the Bible seems to hold these three individuals up and I think that it's always been backwards in my mind. I have it that these guys are really three great guys, and so God's working through them. But the reality is, is these are like three really messed up guys that God has chosen, and he hasn't chosen them because they're anything special. He's chosen them because of their weakness, because of their imperfection, because through them, God's faithfulness and his glory can be seen more greatly working through them. And so his sovereign grace is totally, like, is totally at work. Um, it's not about what they do. It's what God does in spite of them moving through this story. That through these individuals, the Messiah, Jesus, will come. Um, we're going to take communion today. Uh, a quote I heard this week or read this week, I can't remember. Like, I hear stuff and I read stuff and they merge together in my mind. Uh, an individual said, if the Lord couldn't use our mistakes, speaking of humanity, he'd have nothing to work with. And I love that this story, like, 
There's nowhere in this story are these people like, oh, these are really good people, so God's going to work through them. And it's like, no, these are totally messed up people, and yet God is moving in the midst of their mistakes. And this is so reassuring to me because, like, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. I'm a a saved sinner, and I'm going to continue to make mistakes. But through the story, I see that God continually asserts his mercy, meaning that he withholds justice that's due me, like wrath that's due me, he's withhold it, and then he's dumped his grace on me, that he gives me things that I don't deserve. And so this is a story about God and his faithfulness. It's not a story about these superheroes in the Bible that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are super awesome guys. No, they are men who are fallen, who are imperfect, that have a perfect God that has moved through them uh, for the sake of the world. And really, this takes so much pressure off of us when we realize, like, God wants us, like our hearts. He's not seeking us to accomplish great things for us. He doesn't need us. He wants relationship with us. And for us to say, here I am, Lord, use me. And so we're going to take communion. The guys can come forward, or the ladies, whoever's coming forward. I don't know who's coming to do communion, but I know one is coming up, two guys, three, so they're missing one. Oh, we have a stand in here. A fourth is coming. All right, so the elements are going to go forward here. And as they're going out, just take uh, what you need and hold on to it. I think the first, the first side of uh, communion is for us just to go before the Lord and to say, Lord, I am not, like, I'm not perfect. This could be a huge step for you to, like, to reach that point of, of just brokenness before God, to acknowledge that like, what you bring to the table is your sin, your imperfection. So often... Our desires are apart from God's desires. We are trying to go. We're, we try to go about life, accomplishing things according to our own flesh, and how we do them. And so, uh, with communion, this is a time for us to pause. It's a time for us to say, "Lord, these are areas that I'm struggling with in my life. These are areas that I need to give to you." Um, or maybe you're drawing a blank, and it's like, "Lord, here's my pride." Like, I know there's things. Show me things that I'm holding on to, things that I'm going about the wrong way. May you convict me of them, that I could lay them at the cross. And so just take this time to seek God and to ask him to show you areas that you need to surrender to him. Father, as I have read and kind of contemplated this chapter this week, Lord, it's, uh, I, I've just found it oddly encouraging to see um, these individuals, um, all of them kind of going about things in the wrong way. And I feel like in different season and just different days of this week or th- throughout my life, I've identified with uh, 
each of these four characters, I've, I've seen myself make similar mistakes and errors. And, and so, Father, we, um, we come before you, or I come before you, and I, I acknowledge, Lord, um, my will is so often in conflict with your will. Um, we are so self-focused, and we can be selfish and driven for um, our own personal reward and our own gain. And and so, Lord, this story reminds us that, um, that your scriptures sort of um, humble us, Lord. They, they, uh, they bring us to your throne, Lord, and to your presence, your, your majesty, uh, your glory, your holiness, which is beyond our, our, our comprehension. Who we are is magnified. Uh, we are fallen people. We are a people that um, are in desperate need of a savior. And if it was up to us, we would concoct some way that um, that we would find acceptable uh, a system of things that we would do in order to uh, to get right with you, uh, a, a system of of do's and don'ts, and and hopefully we would measure up at the end of the day. But I thank I thank you, Lord, that uh, your word from the very beginning of Genesis made it clear that. You would establish a plan. You would establish a covenant. Um, you would provide a means through your son, Jesus, uh, that we could get right with you. We thank you that your plan isn't about our works. It's about his work on the cross, uh, providing the atonement for our sin, for our shortcomings, um, It's something that's hard to actually imagine. Uh, And Lord, as we hold these communion elements in our hands today, we're reminded of Jesus' body that was broken for us, that he was beaten to the point to where he was unrecognizable. And we're told in your word that by his wounds we are healed. We thank you, God, that he was our substitute. Lord, and the juice that we hold in our hand is a reminder of the new covenant that we have in him. And Father, as we uh, take communion today, we pray, Father, that you would help us to align our will with your will, that through your spirit you would Help us to desire the things that you desire. Help us to see the world around us as you see it. Father, I pray that you would help us to see uh, the people out there um, as people for whom Christ has died, that you would help us to be your ambassadors, that we would proclaim Jesus until he returns or we go to be with you. Father, we are thankful that in Christ we are clean, in Christ we are forgiven. We thank you for your grace that you've poured out upon us. Uh, We ask that you would lead us this day 
and every day of our lives that we would follow you willingly and with a clean conscience. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.